0: We're going to head to ukraine now i don't know if you've been following the news over the past few days but airstrikes russian airstrikes often using these iranian-made drones have cut power and water supplies to hundreds of thousands of ukrainians again today part of what the country's president vladimir Zelensky, is calling an expanded russian campaign to drive the nation into the cold and dark and make peace talks impossible again Zelensky said nearly one-third of ukraine's power stations have been destroyed in the past week causing massive blackouts right across the country
1: nine-year-old artem panchenko helps his grandmother stoke a smoky fire as she prepares a meal outside their home in the southern region of Kharkiv. the light is falling fast and they need to eat before the sun sets and they're plunged into darkness artem is not looking forward to another night without heating it's really cold i'm sleeping in my clothes in my apartment In a nearby village, Viktor Palyanitsa chops wood to prepare for the worst. I have arms and legs, so I'm not scared of the cold because I can find wood and heat the stove. More recent Russian strikes in Kiev and elsewhere that have targeted power plants have added to the general sense of foreboding about the coming winter. I'm Karen Chamas
0: depriving people of water, electricity, and heat as winter begins to set in. You know, if you live in Canada, what a Ukrainian winter or Ukrainian fall feels like. It's very similar to living on the prairies in many ways. Uh, And the broadening of these so-called suicide drones, these Iranian-built drones, they nosedive into targets. has really opened a new phase in Russia's war, unable to win on the battlefield, uh, in fact, losing on the battlefield, now resorting to destroying infrastructure and essentially trying to punish Ukrainian civilians for the success of the Ukrainian military. Well, joining me now with more on this is Don Bowser. He's a Canadian law enforcement and security advisor who has lived and worked in Ukraine for many years. He spent months in the country following Russia's invasion. He's also the founder of Support to Ukrainian Recovery Initiative. Thanks so much for your time tonight, Don. Good to have you back. Yeah, it's great
1: to be back then.
0: So tell me a bit about just what you're hearing from Ukraine with this phase, because it doesn't come as a surprise. But at the same time, you know, these Iranian drones, uh, all of it, it just it it feels like yet another low in this war.
1: Yeah, and a continuing slide downwards, definitely. Um, So what do we see? We see waves of these drones coming over. Uh, They're relatively... Small and slow moving, um, so it is not something that the Ukrainians' air defense has been easily able to take on. They also seem quite difficult to acquire using uh, uh, man-held surface-to-air missiles. So using the man-pads that uh, Ukraine has uh, doesn't seem to be the answer to taking down these drones, so people have resorted to trying to shoot them down on their own. Um, the armed forces and police even have been involved in trying to take down the drones as they come over. And have uh, some local citizens who have been advised not to do that. So you have a difficult to hit drones that are striking key infrastructure across major cities, trying to put Ukrainians in the cold and the dark.
0: It's... um. You know, when you look, and and killing killing civilians as well, while they're while they're at it, because I gather these these they're very low grade these Iranian drones, uh, and they kind of land where they land, right?
1: Yeah, and uh, I, I mean it doesn't seem to be the targeted killing of civilians that we've had in the past in other places, uh, direct attacks on major uh, crossroads and things like that. Um, what you are, it seems to be very much a targeted program to hit infrastructure, specifically hitting uh, heating plants and electrical generating stations. Um, But they are highly inaccurate. Uh, And this has been the nature of Russia's war, is simply to use these inaccurate weapons uh, against civilian areas, like in the area around kharkiv Sultan, which had no defense um, at the time. And there was uh, essentially one of the most Dense populated areas. So we've seen continual attacks against civilian uh, civilian buildings and things like that. Um, this current wave seems to be more focused on infrastructure.
0: Uh, you've spent an awful lot of time in that country. I don't think Canadian infrastructure could handle those sorts of attacks on it. Uh, what kind of long term damage is this now doing then to Ukraine? And we are heading into fall. I mean, again. If anyone wants to know what Ukraine at this time of year is like, well, you know, stick your head out the window if you live somewhere like, you know, on the prairies somewhere. It's been warm, obviously. But there, you know, we're heading into a cold time of year and cold and dark is an enemy, I'd imagine.
1: Yes. And uh, specifically look at the, the damage that was done here in Atlanta, Canada on Fiona uh, and how many days people were without electricity. Specifically, Russia has been targeting, for example, transformers that are very difficult to replace. They've been going after uh, major heating plants. And, of course, the continual capture of uh, attempts to capture nuclear generating stations over the course of the war. In many ways, this war has been an energy war. Um, We see the attack on Nord Stream 2, and now we see the Russians launching these attacks against Uh, any ability of of Ukraine to generate uh, energy in in the coming winter. So you see the same pattern of of things happening and the damage that has been done is going to be very difficult to replace unless the allies are ready to start to deliver uh, electricity generating capacity to Ukraine um, very quickly. My uh, people that I've been talking to are very worried about what's going to come of the winter. Since uh, the summer, we've been telling people start uh, looking for a wood stove um, because this is what you're going to need to survive. And this is one of the things that we've been trying to do is actually look at ways to get alternative energy into people's homes. Uh, A friend of mine who is a survivor from Mariupol uh, was telling us that it's uh, you know after going through an experience where you have no electricity for a very long time, no source of heating, uh, and back in March, um, is that the first thing you think about is ways to heat your heat your home and cook food?
0: Yeah, and and, and the challenges of trying to do that, especially on uh, I, I guess well on on a relatively large scale and on relatively short notice. Now that the need will have expanded quite considerably just in the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, this was always going to be a difficult winter, no matter what, because of uh, simply the attacks on the infrastructure before and the gas supply and things like that. Now, with this uh, damage uh, across, and you look at a place like Lviv, which has been uh, gotten through, uh, you know, relatively unscathed in the first phase of the war, has uh, three of its four uh, electrical generating stations hit. So it's impacting everybody across the country. Zhutomir today was without electricity. Um, And and so you just see how this is going to impact. The the goal seems to be to sap Ukrainian uh, morale and try to make the Ukrainians give up. And that's definitely what's not going to happen, because the Ukrainians are very determined to keep in this fight until the end. They won't be making any compromises, no matter how bad it gets. It's yeah. Just the mis- Yeah, just the misery just keeps going on, especially for the most vulnerable, the elderly, um, who are stuck in a lot of communities and can't get out.
0: Yeah, Don, that's what I was thinking about was all the people. I mean, you've talked about them in the past. We've spoken to people in Kharkiv, obviously in Zaporizhia, and, and it's a lot of the elderly were left behind, right? They didn't want to leave. They couldn't leave. And they're the ones who are still in those apartments on their own. And if the heat goes out and the power goes out, uh, it's yeah. going to be hard to try to make sure that, that there are no that people stay alive this winter.
1: Absolutely. And uh, the, the problem is, is that people have no place to go, Um The rents and accommodation that's available in Western Ukraine are beyond the capacity of many people. Europe is not as welcoming as it was. Um, And so the difficulty of basically fleeing from your home, which is the only place you have to live, you have no other way to make an income, uh, is the reason why you see people going back to communities that are even under fire simply because they just don't have any other place to go. Um, So, I mean, you're seeing a situation where a lot of people are stuck. um, And the fear of the unknown is one of the things that keeps people in communities, uh, even uh, even if it's coming under danger. This is not new. We've seen this in the last eight years of this war, is that infrastructure is continually being hit but um the civilians that are that are uh, across Ukraine now facing this next horrid face of the war um will just continue to suffer
0: yeah what what can we do i mean i know there's been uh, clearly there's been a lot of calls again for improved air defenses we've been talking about that for ages this would seem to be yet another example although you point out the drones are harder to take out but um but significantly improved air defenses would certainly do no harm. Uh, But what else can the West be doing now to try to to counter this? I mean, the sanctions aren't going to work over the next six months, um, but Ukrainians still need to be helped at this stage of the game. And I'm wondering how we could do that.
1: Well, there's a lot of counter-drone systems that the Ukrainians themselves have been developing, but they also need anti-drone weapons that are able to take these down, that can jam them uh, and basically make them drop under the sky um so there's lots of other uh avenues to to help them specifically in this but they need large scale air, air defense systems canada right now is looking at trying to send um parkas and winter equipment which is desperately needed by ukrainian forces but also what they really need is air defense at the moment and in large quantities um the rest of it, uh, in terms of fighting, is that they've been able to make do with what they have and what weapons that they've gotten from the West have been used very uh, very effectively. Um, but the cost also is enormous. And this has been one of the things that the Ukrainian government has been cautious about releasing the numbers. But the losses to Ukrainian forces at the event um, is just horrid. Um, and so you you see a country that is going into winter with these attacks on the infrastructure, but also the looming threat of atomic weapons. And so I got a couple of panic calls in the last couple of days from Mm -hmm. friends asking, what can we do to prepare? Um, And so this is another uh, psychological toll on the population, is that you're you're faced with weapons of mass destruction. Um, So there's also a need for you know, um, uh, basically uh, materials that are going to help if there was a nuclear or chemical attack as well. The the, the list is endless. From the civilian population, the number one um, uh, problem is winterizing homes. If you go to a place like Kharkiv, there's hardly a window that's left intact. Mm -hmm. So what we've been trying to do is just find simple solutions to that. Get windows to Ukraine. Um, Try to get wood stoves. Um, trying to get communities that need to have an income back on their feet. So there's the, there's a wide range of of things that are needed, both for civilians and for the military, to keep Ukraine through this fight in the winter.
0: Um, just on the on the military on the fighting front of all this, Don, I, I get the impression that that uh, the Ukrainian military is continuing to do well. Um, How do you think the dynamics are changing there, and and is is that going to lead to anything, uh, do you think, surprising in terms of withdrawals and so on? We're seeing that in Herson, which has been uh, obviously something quite surprising, I think, uh, in in terms of their success in pushing uh, the Russians back there.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the the Ukrainian uh, forces have very high morale, uh, and they've been able to train uh, and equipped their forces now, which have offered them a chance to be almost on parity in terms of the numbers uh, of Russian forces. But, of course, they've been able to perform much better than the Russian forces for a number of reasons, and lack of corruption within uh, with, within the procurement cycle in the last couple of years, um, the fact that uh, that Ukrainians are very motivated because it's their land and other things, so you see a highly motivated um, and right now has a technological edge in terms of the the current fighting um, of Ukrainian forces being able to take on Russians who have been largely equipped with uh, artillery systems uh, and other Soviet methods of dealing with, with warfare. So the, the Ukrainian way of war has given them a real edge um, and also using small unit tactics and things like that. And that's why we see in Kherson, um, given the the number of uh, advanced weapon systems that they received, but also using smart tactics, they've been able to push back um, the Russian forces to the point in which it's no longer viable for Russian forces to be in Kherson. So there is a withdrawal currently ongoing. Um, We'll see how far uh, the Russians are willing to withdraw. But the reality is, is that any urban assault into Kherson would cause tremendous Ukrainian casualties. So, the best option has been what Ukraine has been doing is slowly forcing the Russians to leave and cutting off their opportunities to resupply. Um, so, if they continue in this way, it's going to be hopefully the best possible ending um, for the people that are that are currently in occupied Kherson. In another front as well, and in Hark, if they continue to advance, there's been counterattacks now by the Russians. But the Russians now have, have just decided they're going to throw in bodies. Uh, as widely as possible, and attack civilian infrastructure in a way to um, simply grind down the, the Ukrainians.
0: Yeah, it's a playbook we've seen often with Russia, whether it be from uh, yeah. from Chechnya all the way forward, right? What about for you, Don? What are your What are your priorities now? I know you have lots of work ahead of you, and as you were mentioning earlier, the the needs in Ukraine are plenty. The ability to get all that stuff to Ukraine is difficult. What are What's on your agenda for the next little while?
1: Well, currently our our main focus is on trying to help people go for early recovery in terms of recovering their ability to earn their own income. The international community is still far behind in terms of delivering real assistance to Ukraine. Um, There continues to be problems with uh, insufficient and and not regular supplies of humanitarian aid. As the humanitarian uh, need grows, Um, Ukrainians are going to get into even a worse position than they are now. So our main focus has been on trying to help some of the liberated communities recover. We see it around in the Kiev region right now. It's chugging along. They have the resources to be able to do reconstruction. But in the places around Kharkiv and Chernigov and Sumy, there hasn't been this. And so that's our main focus. And we have one project just trying to rebuild a dairy plant. Uh, outside of Kharkiv in in the town of Malo uh, which has proven incredibly difficult to get resources for, I found it far easier to get uh, uh, the funds to be able to to uh, buy military equipment for Ukrainian forces than to get a limited uh budget to simply put a town back on its feet so that's our main focus right now. I talked to some American partners today I've talked to the finns i've talked to Canadian uh, associations as well, but it's just very slow.
0: Well, Don Bowser, as always, thank you so much. We look forward to catching up again. Still astonishing that the international community hasn't managed to do more to provide more humanitarian aid to Ukraine at this point, but uh, keep up the good work. Thanks again.
1: Great. Thanks a lot, Ben.